Two-parter today, but it's me and then it's Adnan. Um, but no, Adnan's going to be on. Future creative projects, Chris Long, you may have heard of him. And by the way, Michael Bennett, traded to the Seahawks, traded from the Seahawks to the Eagles, and then Schefter immediately tweets out, look at that defensive front for Philly, Fletcher Cox, Barnett, the rookie from Tennessee, Brandon Graham, and now Michael Bennett. Whoa. And then Chris Long's like, hello, hello. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, did you watch? You know why they call me the playmaker? Because I make plays. We are going to have, uh, we're going to have Chris Long interview a friend, a teammate, former teammate, just a contemporary, where Chris is going to interview that player, and I'm going to not talk. I'm just going to get out of the way. I'm going to let those two guys. It'll be like QB to QB, except they won't be quarterbacks and it won't be boring. So we're going to do that at some other point. Um, I also, in all the Michael Bennett stuff, because the Michael Bennett story is ridiculous because it's one part he's incredible, the relief efforts, the stuff that he's done, and that he also blatantly lied about that Vegas cop incident. And the book is titled What White People Are Afraid Of or What Scares White People. Double check on that research. Can we double check? And then, of course, I think it was Dave Zirin who's who does, like, the book or something. So as soon as he got traded, everybody was tweeting out, like, oh, don't forget this book is coming out. And the title of the book is, Saruti? Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. Yes, would be lying to the public about what happened with police in Vegas. And what made people, white or black, super uncomfortable was how to address the second part of that story once we saw almost all the video. And people were just in, like incapable of walking back all the stuff they said when they bought in. And that's why, like, I think anybody of any race, any color, any gender, any religion, when you are a purveyor of hysteria or you you are in the hysteria trade, like, you hurt the issues that really matter. You do. You hurt the issues that really matter. And Michael Bennett's done a ton of great things. He's a great player. And when you look at the cap number, three years, 18 mil total, I think he's like five and a half. That makes a ton of sense, but I couldn't help but notice the multitude of jokes when the book title started getting tweeted out all over the place. You go, whoa, because the people, people in the media had a very hard time. Part two with that story, looking at more of the video and going, this was exaggerated at best, at worst, flat out lied, caused a bunch of problems about an issue that is an issue, a real issue, the way blacks are treated in this country by police. So, um, wow, I didn't expect to get that political right off the top. I'm sorry, uh, but it's just something that jumped in. Stream of consciousness, you know how this whole thing works. So Adnan, Oscars parties, famous people, Matt Damon. Um, we will do that. We want to talk about movies in general. I guess we'll do a little life update with him. I signed up for a class online to get a little things, get the old juices flowing because I'm kind of stuck a little bit creatively, but I'm not stuck on this. We are once again... Uh, trying to take down the NCAA. When I say we, I mean the media again, because as if you had heard me on with uh, Will Kane on the Will Kane show, I sat in studio with him for an hour, and I think it's very easy to see the roadmap of how a lot of this stuff works. NFL is what? It's thought of as conservative. It is rich, old, white men that are stuck in their ways. They're not open-minded, and this is not me speaking, but I think this is generally kind of how the way the whole stories are covered. 
And because of Kaepernick not having a job, that okay, these guys are these guys are the furthest thing from woke. They are the opposite. They are asleep. And I would, I mean, I will defend this to like anybody that says, "Oh, you can't really tell left, right, leaning how the media." But like with the people that I read, and like a lot of people that I like, most of you are left. Most of you are very liberal on social topics. So I think you are you are just. I don't want to call it chemically, but like you are opposed. There is the NFL position, the the position of ownership, the position of this is what we worry about more than anything else. Like the Stephen Ross story, the owner of the Dolphins, when he's like, okay, he totally changed course. But like, why are we in his pocket? Why are we so worried about how Stephen Ross is going to run his business? We already know how he's going to run his business. He can agree with Kaepernick. He's thought to be one of the most open-minded. He's the one guy that shot down some of the financing on the new NFL stadiums. It's like, this is a joke, okay? And his position on that was one that we should applaud. And that fans are like, yeah, Stephen Ross is right. But then when he decides to make a statement that puts him as the face of the franchise because he owns it, saying, yeah, you know what? And it was kind of embarrassing how he didn't... Like, his explanation of it was embarrassing, but the core of it was that, hey, you know what I want to do? Piss off a ton of my football fans. And I, I, we are so good at letting, like, telling other people how they're supposed to run their businesses. And I know that's all what we're all doing here. Like, we all, hey, here's how to fix the NBA. Here's how to fix this. Here's how to fix. we do this all the time. That's kind of what the job is. But I don't think that there's any debate whatsoever that a lot of the coverage and the voices that we hear are left, and therefore they are just opposed forever to what they believe is a very conservative leadership from the NFL. So using that example of wanting to be in. Stephen Ross is not just his head, but his pockets and telling him exactly how he's supposed to run it. When a lot of us, if we owned an NFL franchise, be like, okay, what can I do? I can piss off a ton of my fan base by saying something that seems very progressive and people will like me on Twitter. Or I can just try to protect my business interests. Yeah, I think I'll do the second one. Okay. Because I think most of us would go ahead and do this. And that leads to the NCA. The NCA very much, I think, along those same lines, outdated, outdated leadership, government that we don't like we feel like they're old that they don't understand it and then you you put that up against the fact that you have these two sports that make all of this money we saw the revenue numbers go over a billion dollars between the tournament and everything else that they're getting in college basketball and then you have the bowl season that expands and the money that ESPN paid to these guys and we keep having this debate how are we going to go ahead and fix this thing all right i have a couple things that i want to touch on with this one one is i believe the players should get more money now, spare me your vice sports garbage on every player because this is the revenue that comes into football that the backup left guard at Texas is worth four hundred eighty grand a year. That's a joke, okay? That stuff's a joke. I don't know how you would figure it out. If you get Title IX involved, guess what? Game over. Now we can't do that discussion anymore. But there has to be at least some understanding of let's find a way to compensate guys a little bit more. If that means likeness, fine. If it means autograph shows, fine. You want to tell me that stuff's going to get shady? What do we have right now? We have shadiness. We were exposed to shadiness. Shadiness we knew that was there, but now we we know the names and people are losing their jobs. And this whole Sean Miller thing, which, I mean, good luck. I can't explain that one to you. So if I present you something as a solution and you say, oh, that seems a little shady, I go, well, what? wait a minute, what do we have now? So I am okay with players making a little bit more money. I am okay with it only be the revenue generating guys. And again, if we start doing the Title IX thing, where if you're going to pay the basketball players, the football players, you got to pay. I'm not even talking about just Title IX. If you want to pay the male volleyball players, I love volleyball too, man. 
sorry. You're, here's a bag and here's some sweats. Don't let a girl steal them from your apartment when you have a sleepover because this stuff goes fast. The athletic gear, the athletes who listen to the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. How many lacrosse windbreakers are you missing? Exactly. Especially if you were on attack and had maybe 20 goals your junior year. So I'm okay. Hear me. Okay. Hear me tell you that I think the revenue generating teams, players, et cetera, should be compensated more. Now, the likeness thing seems like a no-brainer. But I feel like people are trying to tear this NCAA thing apart. We want it to be destroyed. And I wonder if it would be a little bit like the college football game where we go, hey, this is ridiculous that I can play with Tim Tebow or Dennis Dixon if you love playing with the Ducks. This is a joke. Like, this is the guy. He's 6'4", maybe. 6'5". Jacked. Not a great arm, but I have to make him good enough of an arm to be Tebow in the video game at the college level. Like, how can, how can you do this and have it be right? Well, it wasn't right. But in the quest to make it right, we ended up destroying something that we all really like so a bunch of former college athletes could get a check for like $47. Okay. And I'm serious. I think it was like 47 bucks. So was that really a solution? And that's what I'm afraid of when we look at college sports. Are we in such a quest? to make it better that we actually want to destroy it, and that's what I feel like I'm hearing all the time. So I would love for the NCAA, because I'm not one of those guys that constantly just wants to bash. Like, Jay Billis clearly doesn't like Mark Emmer. Jay Billis is every day a new tweet about how bad the NCAA is, and I get his point, but sometimes I'm like, all right, dude, I got it. I got it. You don't think it's well run. Philosophically, I love for the NCAA, which has always told us there's never enough money, there's never enough money, there's never enough money. Give me the imaginary dollar amount, dollar amount that you would need to get to revenue wise to make the NCAA go, all right, maybe we do have enough of these revenue generating sports. And here's the thing. The number is already there. It's happening right now. But philosophically, I'd love for them to just tell me what the number would have to be for them to reevaluate if they could compensate players a little bit more. And they'll never do that. They'll never do that because eventually they would get to that number because I'm sure if you ask 10, certainly 20 years ago, hey, in 2017-18, this is the kind of revenue you're going to be pulling in for the Bulls and the tournament. Be like, oh my God, it'd be amazing if we could do that. That's probably not a realistic projection. And it's happening now because live right sports and how much college sports have dominated. How much, like we're trying to buy it all up. Fox is trying to buy it all up. People want to keep buying this stuff up because of the live rights audience. There is not a sports television bubble. I don't really know how that happens. Things could be overpriced, but it's not like live sports live sports are going to stop being live at some point, okay? Or at least the audience's demand to want to see something like that live. So that's that's another issue. But when I watch Jay Will, who I like a lot, Jalen Rose, who I like a lot, guys that make millions of dollars, okay, in their careers, and I'm not talking about playing hoops. I'm talking about their faces that we recognize now because they what they did in college basketball. When they start to say stuff like boycott the final four to to just send a message to change the dynamics of how players are compensated. I'm sorry. Like I, I'm out. You've lost me on that one. That is another example, kind of like the Steven Ross thing and being in somebody else's pocket where you're telling me, so wait a minute, you want to tell, can you imagine if Jay will on the verge of playing in the final four, being national player of the year and about to win a national championship for Duke, you'd say, Hey Jay, you know what? I know this is going to be a really fun weekend. Saturday and Monday, and you're one of the best college basketball players we've ever seen at Duke. But for future generations, we need you to be a pioneer right now, buddy. That like 20 years old, we need you to be a real pioneer. 
and we need you to sit out. Can you, I, I can't, like to me, the audacity to be somebody that benefited from being in the Final Four and have it shape a lot of who your career, I'm not even talking about the NBA. Like I, we know Jalen more from the Fab Five than we do anything in the NBA, and certainly because of Jay Will, I think you know it's it's incredibly unfortunate because the dude was nasty. But what happened in Chicago? But it, I don't know that I could ever do that to be almost forty and go, hey kids, boycott the NCAA, boycott the Final Four for change, miss out on a great weekend, a personal opportunity and experience for you, because I've realized now, looking back, I should have done something like that. Yeah, maybe you realize it now because you're older, but you've already benefited from it. So how can you tell somebody to not go through the experience that you benefited greatly from? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, the NCAA is messed up. Yes, players should be compensated more. Yes, their likeness should somehow lead to them generating their own revenue. Signings. If local businesses want to pay these guys to show up and sign stuff on a Tuesday, let them do it. Let them do it. Advance the way of thinking if you're the NCAA. Don't worry about the gray areas because the gray areas are already happening. But for, and I'll admit, because of being a guy that's done this for a long time, the goal when you're in front of a microphone, when you're in front of a TV camera, is to, can I say something that really gets noticed? And if you're one of the guys, Jalen Rose, Jalen Williams, sitting there saying, boycott the Final Four, it's also, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like a win for you, too. Like there's, there's a bit of it where it's this, it's it's not just the statement itself. It's a win for you by saying something bombastic and going, hey, I paid attention because ultimately the goal all of us have every day we crack a microphone is say something that somebody pays attention to. What can I say today that somebody will pay attention to? And people will pay attention to to great college basketball players with high-profile TV gigs sitting there and saying, boycott the Final Four. It's a hell of a take. But I just, I don't know. I mean, look, I was never those guys. Obviously, it's too late now. I'm never going to be them. But I don't know that I could tell guys 20 years younger than me to miss out on that awesome experience. So that is the solution that I present as I presented it eight years ago. And I presented it when it was the SVP show. And everybody laughed me out of the building. And the more I think about it eight years ago, I was just that far ahead of my people weren't ready. Just like De La Soul is dead. You weren't ready for it. Let the agents pay these guys. All right. If I were running the NCAA, I would say, okay, I'm going to do something that sounds shady. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to make it seem like I'm getting up to date. I'm thinking about the kids. But what I'm really thinking about is I don't want to cut you a slice of my pie. We're not paying you anymore. Maybe I'll give you some sort of headline stipend, make it seem like something. I never understood why we couldn't put some money into a fund. I would have loved to take a course in college. Like, here's how you're going to screw up your credit, and here's how you're not going to screw up your credit. Here's how you start a 401k. Here's how you don't. You know, here's an IRA plan. You know, I, like how many more courses could I have taken about whether or not soil adapts to certain climates? Like that, I'm not using that stuff, man. I wasn't using it then. Earth soil sciences, you know you took it. And then you're like, I got a lab. I got three days a week of this crap. And I have a lab, two hour lab on Thursday. Let the agents be on the hook for these guys. Let them pay them in high school. Let them pay them in college. And if the kid flames out, that's on the agent. Did you read some of this Andy Miller stuff, the former NBA agent that was paying a bunch of these players that were named in this big FBI probe? Did you go through the financial spreadsheet? Player after player after player. 17 grand here, bad loan. 40 grand here, trying to get money back. Likely won't. 
$50,000 to this player, bad loan, won't get it back, write it off as a loss. What I've realized in looking at all of that and all the rumors I've heard over the years is if you're throwing money at 10, 20 guys, you can still, you just got to nail one. And if you can get 10 years worth of contracts, even with a rookie scale, because you get 20%, the agent gets 20% of the marketing money, about a 20% commission rate on that. Maybe it's a little bit different, but that's usually kind of the standard rate. Even if they take a zero or actually pay out of pocket to sign the player before the NBA lottery draft, it must, the math must work. Hey, let's throw money around all over the place to some of these players. Twenty grand here, five grand here, fifty grand to this guy. And if he bails on me, and then if he doesn't want to pay me back, like there's some shady stuff where guys start talking junk about each other all the time. Or hey, you know, you signed with this guy, we gave you this money. Some of the guys get the money back, but if you default, and I'm using default loosely here, but essentially default on these loans to some of these players, but then you hit on one and he signs for you know fifty, sixty million, and you're making a cut of that and his marketing money. Clearly, the math has worked out historically for these agents, at least the ones that have been able to keep a shop open, for this to make sense. So to say, oh, well, they can't just go out and pay to all these dudes already. And I'm not saying everybody's been paid. Not everybody has their hand out. Not every single coach is in this gray area. But that's, to me, I'd be in the NCAA going, hey, I know people are going to criticize us for it, but they already smash us every single day. Like what? Oh, when's the last time you read something where it was complimentary of the way the NCAA was run? And that's why when it starts happening every day from the same people, no matter what they do, it's just wrong, up, oh, wrong, okay, did this wrong, punish this team too much, wrong, didn't punish this team enough, wrong. And you're like, all right, fine, just beat them up all the time. So the NCAA should just say, all right, screw it, we'll do this, we'll be criticized, we're going to be criticized no matter what. Or you could go the all-time Rosillo PR move and just say, hey, keep ripping us and we're just not giving you any money ever. I don't think any of the players should ever boycott. I, I don't think that they should. And we got to stop despite its dysfunction, despite the hypocrisy, despite what seems to be an overwhelming level of revenue that college d- administrators never thought that they would reach. We got to stop pretending that it's still not fun as hell to watch football on Saturday in the Final Four coming up in a month. One more thing. The one and done's being written about a lot because of all this stuff. And, you know, there's like, we should just do power rankings of things, of things people want to fix. Uh, and that's, that's always one of them. And I was reading an article the other day that was saying, okay, well, you know, the one and done is, is, is what it is because NBA teams, you know, really like that extra year to evaluate. I do not believe that at all. Uh, every NBA person that I talk to wishes it was high school, wishes it was straight out. And you can say that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to make, make mistakes on guys. No matter what, no matter what system you have, you are not going to have a more foolproof draft. And there's a lot of these guys that think that they're really great at this. And it's just a matter of having the right pick in the right year. And that if they made a mistake, it was the player wasn't into it. We weren't able to read on this thing. So I'm telling you, the NBA doesn't want it to be three years. The NBA doesn't want it to be one year. College doesn't want it to be one year. College, though, historically, when they had the date and they've changed it and they've updated a bit, but they used to have this thing where there was an NBA date to declare and withdraw from the, uh, excuse me, declare and withdraw from the draft. And in college, they had their own withdraw date, which was way in front of the NBA one. So it was almost like this fake withdraw date on the NBA draft for the college underclassmen. So say he declares in May, he could then withdraw from the NBA draft a week before and then technically be eligible again, except the college coaches were like, no, this is an inconvenience to us. I don't want six weeks of limbo. I will have two weeks of limbo. And it was a real date that mattered to be eligible still for that college basketball team. 
So college and NBA, they were not working together. Now, college coaches, and I don't know the exact dates now, they've lessened that a little bit there. And we've seen more and more people say, okay, well, maybe the kids that declare and then don't get drafted should be allowed to return. That's not the easiest solution, but it does sound better because we're very protective of kids. And we're still under this belief that if we let kids go to school for three years, that they'd all be better pros and they'd all be better off. Like I would offer up Xavier Henry. Went 12th overall out of Kansas, one year, a one-and-done kid, would have definitely gone straight out of high school. Did he fail because he only went one year? I would say 90% of the people listening to this right now would say, yes, that's absolutely why he failed. Well, he may have failed staying three years and going in the second round. You know, like that's how I look at this stuff. So stop protecting kids and stop operating under the premise that everyone that stays longer is always in a better position to succeed because that's not really always the case. Sometimes the longer you play, the more expose yourself. So I'm okay with kids coming right out of high school. The NBA is okay with kids coming right out of high school. And it wasn't, I don't believe, based on all the conversations I've had forever, an NBA thing where they wanted more evidence, even though that makes a ton of sense. Hey, I want to watch a college kid play more. That's not really what it was. They're like, fine. College hates it. What was happening was after the malice, the palace, there was this sense, although inaccurate, it's just a bunch of dumb high school kids running right to the NBA, wearing retro jerseys on the bench, and now they're fighting with each other. And I know that the station that I worked for that covered the Celtics, you know, this is going back right after that. So we're, you know, almost 15 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, really in that window, because I was there about five years. I believe we had lost a huge auto ship sponsorship, like an auto dealer. Auto ship doesn't really make a ton of sense. Now that I revisit that usage of word. Um, but yeah, we had this deal with this auto dealer and they go, you know what? We're out. And it was because of that thing. And the NBA was hearing that from around their different, you know, teams and business partners, local stations and stuff that there was an image problem. Okay. Like Joe Forte wearing a backwards magic retro jersey on the Celtics bench like that. It's like, who's this kid? Like, you know, what? who brought crisscross? When did the Celtics sign crisscross to a 10-day? And it doesn't sound fair. You know, God, imagine debating a dress code now. Like, oh, my God. First take for days. But I don't think a dress code is that big of a deal. And guess what? The dress code's fun for dudes now because they get to wear a blazer and Jane, Dwayne Wade can get a DNP rest and come out in capri pants and then, you know, be fresh to go when he takes a week off again. So it really was, let's change, even as stupid as this is, and have guys go to school for a year, it it just, you can't say, oh, it's just a bunch of high school kids running around. Let's get blazers on them, let's have them go to college, and let's call that auto dealership back up and tell them we fixed our problem, and do you want to invest in the NBA? And I believe that has as much to do with what they've done as anything, but it's a stupid fix, it's a cosmetic fix, and the kids don't want to do it, the agents certainly don't want to do it. But how are you going to do this thing where you tell a, college, a high school kid, you're like, okay, but if you go to college now, you got to go for three years. And everybody seems to like it, but why do you like it? Same reason why you like college football, because you like college football. And if a kid who shows up to a college basketball campus has to play there for three years, who's that help? I know you're going to say the NBA team, but the NBA team, again, I'm telling you, they don't care. They wish the kids could come out of high school. I know you're telling me it helps the college coach. Well, yeah, but nobody seems to like those guys anymore. What it really is is it helps you because you're a college basketball fan, and now you know your team's going to have that dude for three years. But imagine being sick, like really good, and projected as a top-five pick after your sophomore year. And very rarely do we ever see any injuries where 
you know, we don't have career. We can talk about injuries. How many career ending injuries of lottery picks have we had lately? Like it just doesn't happen. And don't come at me with Kevin Ware from Louisville. Like I know it was a terrible injury, but don't argue exceptions. The majority of players stay healthy, healthy enough. Even Michael Porter, Michael Porter could have a nice little run here, uh, where, well, it depends on which tournament he's in, but you know what I'm saying? Rarely do you have a guy that's like, oh, he was going to be the number one overall pick and then he had an ankle injury and then he went in the second round. Like it doesn't happen that way. Almost every opinion we have is driven by selfishness. And when I hear the, well, go NBA, or if you go to college, go for three years, which I'm not entirely against, but is it because you really care about a kid you don't know his education? Do you really, why do you care so much about a dude you'll never meet? Is it, why would you care about his education? You don't. You like college hoops and you just wanted to be in a Jayhawks uniform for three years. And I can't imagine how much that would suck if you were the kid and you were really good and you go, I got to come back one more year when I've already proven that I'm NBA lottery ready now, or at least ready to be in the lottery. Adnan Verk, After Parties Oscars, please subscribe. Uh, number four podcast ESPN. We tied Levitard for per episode download, which is a monstrous number and uh, just proves again that uh, you guys worship me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that I was trying to think of something funny to say, and then it just sounded egotistical. Whoa. I don't care. You can not like me. Subscribe, rate, review. We're still giving out some gear. I got some hats in the back. Leave those reviews, those iTunes band reviews. Tame Impala, can't stop listening lately. On fire. May go check them out in Spain this summer. Maybe we get a road trip. Have a little. There's no way I'm doing a podcast out in Spain. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you know we can get a studio there. Might be a little, little difficult. Tame All right, Impala, I just. By the way, big Bretos, huge fan. Bretos loves. He loves anything international, man. The idea that he's from Australia and Cleveland and Miami yeah. and Cuba and Florence. Bertus is 58 years old. He's also going to be neighbors with you pretty soon. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, good to have you back in studio. It's been yeah, a was, while. That was fun. It was weird. The first couple minutes I was, I was thrown off a little bit. Okay. Uh, we'll do it again next week. Priscilla Podcast, again, uh, this will be Adnan. Just make sure you tell everybody to uh, sign up for the pod. All right? It'll be in everybody's best interest. That's not being selfish. That's not wanting a kid to stay in school for three years. Okay, this is awesome. Uh, it is Adnan Verk, and it's Thursday. It Nothing's just, changed. Yeah, we took a right. two-month sabbatical. Thursday's with Adnan again. So Adnan and... <laughs> Same studio, same studio, and nothing's changed. I came in a little bit earlier, and Will and the whole show staff were here, and I didn't even realize I did it. I just sat right down in his chair. And they go, oh, the old guy's checking out what the new guy's up to. Yeah, but you see what I'm saying? Not sure about segment four. This was my chair, (laughs) and I just walked in, and everybody was sitting around, and then I sat down in my chair. I'm locked out of my computer. I don't remember the password. (laughs) I don't feel like calling IT. My stuff still works. But it's interesting, because I heard you earlier with Levitar, and they're like, oh, we miss you. And I'm like, well, he's still with the company. He's still putting out content, but it's true on a daily basis, obviously. We do all miss you. Yeah, it is different like i actually am not sure if i'm going to go to the cafeteria after this but right, maybe so i will go, right where you been yeah like what's wrong right what I happened thought, i thought you were gone like i, I your, thought you were in la <laughs> your script sucked that bad you're already back are you pulling some game night shifts what's the up people have asked me they go so Rosillo really wants to be a screener i go yes okay it it's gonna happen because he's willed everything else in his life to happen and none of that anybody thought would happen so why not and it's been great dallin cuffs and he loved the pod you and scotty i haven't had a chance to listen to me he said you and van pelt we didn't talk about sports i think for the entire 45 minutes <laughs> it was just those guys just riffing and how about our boy tom Tom Crean. 
I knew he was smart. I knew he was knowledgeable. Oh I work with him two, three days a week. He's so funny. I did not know how funny he'd be on camera and off camera. It's almost like you, you see him now and you get to know his personality a little bit more. And then you go, you know, I felt like in a way Indiana had just absurd um, expectations. expectations yeah. And, yeah. you know, like if you kind of look at the whole resume, it was trending in the wrong way at the end. But like, there's some real bright moments there, too, not to the Indiana basketball standard. We understand sure. that. But I I've always wonder, like, once you get to know somebody in the way people, the country is getting to know Tom Crean, <laughs> if they don't go, if they don't go like, eh. Should we kept this guy? You know, Tom's going to get another job, and whoever hires him is going to be better for it because, I mean, he was always cool to me while he was still coaching Indiana. Right. And the other thing that I can't believe, like, there's so many dudes, and you know this, that come in, you know, big ego. Sometimes the ego, you're like, dude, why do you have that big of an ego? Like, you didn't even... Right. Barely made the tournament. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then there'll be another guy who's won. Right. And then there's no ego. And I don't, I, look, I don't have a problem with anybody that has an ego. Sure. But Crean would sit there and ask me very specific, detailed questions about being on the air. And then he'd write down notes. Take on the notepad. And yeah, it's no me. Stuff. Right. And I'd be like, hey, you know, the, 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 Tariko, the points you don't make make the points you do make stronger. Brevity. Find a way. I've still haven't figured it out. Okay. Right. Find a way to make your point. And I know as a basketball guy, you're trying to cover every single base. So anyone who's ever coached is like, no, you forgot about the help rule and the third version of this whole thing. Right. You don't need to do that and stuff. And he's a detail-oriented guy. Right. Like, I think ex-GMs and ex-coaches, and, and I'll even do it sometimes when I'm just trying to talk out some stupid trade mm -hmm. where I want the smartest person to understand that, like, I know every element of it. Right. But that's not always great for television. So he's added personality. He's funny. But then the way he explains some of this stuff, dude. Well, it was that game that he was, like, literally, everyone said he was, like, pulling a Tony Roma. He was predicting what was happening. And you tweeted it and then I said to him like oh Rosillo my buddy's tweeting he's like oh he's my guy he's I was awesome. on a plane watching it right and then I texted you like oh yeah Tom's my guy and, and you're right there's been so many people who are like oh Tom's my guy while we're doing raps which is studio work during college basketball Adrian Wojnarowski comes by he just sits there I don't know Woj that well he's hung out a couple times when we were doing the show together but Adrian just sits there and him and Tom are talking Legler comes by they just hang out for a couple hours like everybody likes and respects Tom and just enjoys talking basketball with him and to your point Listen, he's got his Indiana ring, so I know he's done some things, but he's equally engaged in what everyone else thinks about whatever aspect you're interested in. Like, he's like, I don't know anything about movies, but hey, tell me what's going on with the Oscars. Like, whatever it is, he's one of those guys who is like a sponge and soaks up information. Yeah, he could, he'll just call me sometimes, be like, what's yeah. up? How's it going? And yeah. then I, and he's you know, genuine. I, I've seen guys, we've seen guys who come here, and they're everyone's best friend, hugging it out. He's trying to get then, a show. And then you never hear of him again. <laughs> Kareen, I am fully confident, because I'm with you. He's, he told me he's, it's a, it's a two year deal, so he goes, hey, I'm, I'm on the books for next year, but I'm with you. I think he's going to get a job somewhere this offseason. But he's a guy, if you and I call him in the next year, he'll answer the call. He will be thrilled to hear from us. Like he's, he's sincere. No, but that is really funny, because I'll notice, like, sometimes if it's a guy, former athlete, former coach, and they're doing the car wash thing, and then they buddy up with a dude, and they're like, maybe this guy needs a co host. You know, maybe this guy down the road. <laughs> It'll have the show, or you know, sometimes we're like, "Hey, check out Adnan! Like he's got some juice here in the talent." <laughs> <office."> <laughs> and, and Just then, misinform them, right? See what happens. Right, and then you know, you you don't see him for a few months. You text him, and it's like, "Who's this?" And you just like what? the funniest guest interaction we had because normally I think you and I would both play cool. By the way, I think it was Rudy or somebody tweeted out one of the last shows we did together when Roy Hibbert came. And it was such an absurd picture because it was like six years ago. Both you and I looked. Uh, That's when Roy Hibbert was awesome, right? We, you and I looked demonstrably different. The best one ever though was Lashawn McCoy because, as you and your listeners know, I'm an Eagles fan, and I was keeping it pretty cool. But at the end, you heard me say to him because I was criticizing the defense, like, "Yeah, the wide nine, just killing you guys." You're like, yeah, Adnan had to drop a little wide nine there just so Lashawn McCoy knew. I'm aware of your defensive schemes and how that impacts you guys. I think everybody knows about the wide nine. <laughs> yeah, no, I think exactly. like everybody. 
Like everyone will think about it. And it's always kind of my joke about stuff. If you make a mistake, but you can label the mistake, it's far worse than just making the mistake. Right. Because you yeah. just go, it's, you know, the wide. Like if I ended up doing another radio show sometime and I said, okay, well, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to change the whole format. I'm going right. to come out. It's going to be the, uh, the Melvin, the Melvin approach, you know, <laughs> just title it something. And then right. everybody comes out and be like, I don't know. It's just sort of a take followed by an interview and then like a closing right. segment. Like this right. is what's so great about the Melvin approach. But I would like that if you came out not with your Bob that, Melvin. No, I was going to say Doug Melvin, maybe. Yeah, but you can't, if you just said, listen, I'm going to revolutionize things. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. He teases ahead and he never actually has any content. He just keeps teasing ahead. I'm going to get to why yeah, I'm like if you're gonna, If you're going to tell everybody you're doing something different and then describe it in great detail right. and you screw it up, you get far more scrutiny. So that's why I wish yeah. I had just sort of shut up about everything I was trying to do. <laughs> and you, know, you, would, you would text me recently. What was it, about Thursdays? Yeah. And I forget, I forget what I just happened. said like, Hey man, I, I miss seeing you. We, you know, we always had a blast doing Thursdays together. I miss missing you. And you said, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if this character should be married or not. Thursdays were easier with you. <laughs> yeah, this is, I'll, I'll admit like one of the guys that that's helping me. And you know, there's a few people that I've, I've reached out to and I, I wake up every day and I, I try to write and some days it's great. And some days it isn't. And the days it isn't, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks so hard. There's never been a day where I've been as frustrated doing a talk show. Because right. a talk show, you're like, okay, I can do this. And that's also the difference of doing something, the 10,000 hours, and right. becoming a person who's a professional. Right. Whereas this, you you have these moments where you go, oh, am I am I good at this? Like, I really like this scene. I like how this came out. Like, this surprised me. I didn't expect this woman to develop this. But now I'm going to – this dialogue makes the next piece of dialogue, and now she's this person. And now I, like, really have something to build on. Like, okay, right. this is cool. This thing sort of popped. And then the, there'll be two days in a row where you go, you haven't written an important – you haven't written a word – like nothing. Like it's all, yeah. yeah you it's did not even exposition. You did spell check. <laughs> and you're but trying to act something. like you're doing something. But that was um, David Mamet. You're taking his master class now. What I like it. Yeah. So Mamet. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I hear a great master class joke. So for those that don't know what master class is, yeah. you go, you sign up, and you can do 90 bucks for just one course, but it doesn't make any sense. Just no. pay the 180 and then you get everybody. You get Gordon Ramsay on cooking. <laughs> uh, Sorkin has a screenwriting thing in there. But Mamet, Glengarry, Glen Ross, and he basically starts off like, if you really want to be into drama, dramatic writing, a dramatist, as he says. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you got to write plays. You got to write plays. Just put P two people in a chair, write out the dialogue, and then humiliate yourself by having the crowd hate it. Yeah, and then you're on your way. <laughs> <laughs> and in the beginning, like you and I were. We're going to do it together. And then you, you know, like you I've, just, once you decide you're going to do something. I've, yeah, I got to go full throttle. I apologize. We could have done it together. So Mamet, I'm really starting to like it because I like how unprofessional he is in a way in Will his you, approach. You see you, what I mean? But you texted me last night. You go, Hey, I just started. I hope it improves. So it takes about less than three or four to get in the groove. Yeah. I'm in less than five now and yeah. I needed a little inspiration because I was stuck. And I guess I feel good that because I'm in Connecticut longer than I thought I would be. Yeah. That I'm getting more stuff done because I have no choice. Like, there's nothing I can like. I'm not going to get a hobby. I'm not right. Gonna start volunteering. You know, I'm, like I'm trying, <laughs> trying to get. I said we're still at the Y. Like, what's that all about? I knew he loves playing basketball, but yeah. he's trying to pass that on to other. Yeah, kids. yeah. He was setting up cones the other day. <laughs> um, but it was it was funny because I sent Masterclass an email afterwards. I said, Hey, have you thought of having anybody do one of these that is a talk show host or how to podcast or how to you know deliver <laughs> content. And then I got a complete form email reply back that said, Thank we are always interested in our students' quest to further their education. Oh, we will definitely. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. I was saying me to do it to get paid. Right. The Ryan Rossillo way to be a sportscaster. Right? Yeah. How to succeed in business without trying. This is the Ryan Russillo <laughs> approach to sportscasting. Like, thank you for your interest. We wish you the best in yes. your endeavors. We are always, we are always 
just we love hearing from our students. The hardest part I found with writing was always the editing because everyone always says, I think it's Hemingway's quote, the first draft of anything is crap. And so everyone always says it's, yeah, it's no kidding. and so the fact that you were telling me that you're on your seventh draft, to me, I'd be like, what if the third draft was the better one, though? You know what I'm saying? Like you, had, like you said, you have to have a guy and somebody mentoring you. I would always feel like, what if the third draft's good? I'm like, I'm not changing this. Like, I think the third one's really good. And they go, no, I need a couple more. And then you get to fifth or sixth and you eliminate major characters and major subplots. You go, no, I just liked it better the other way. That's what I always found the hardest thing. The editing was so tough. I remember I wrote something and the guy goes, this one scene is great. I really like it. But it has nothing to do with the script. And I said, no, but I like it. He goes, yeah, but you can't have it. I go, no, but that's the reason I wrote the script. That scene. That's personal. It's about me and my dad. I want it. He goes, no, nah, can't be in the movie. Did it have anything to do with point A to point I, I B? I thought it was interesting. He goes, but most of your focus is to the central character, and this is another character. So I just can't have it in there. Yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning those lessons. Like, I wrote five pages of dialogue of all these, yeah. you know, Wiener Martha's Vineyard guys that I, a lot of people don't really know, but I can't tell if this Chappaquiddick movie is going to pique interest in what I'm doing or if they're like, all right, we got our vineyard story for the next 10 years. We'll, we'll talk to you when you're 50. Um, although I didn't love the Chappaquiddick movie, they refer to Chappaquiddick as, as an island off Martha's Vineyard when anybody that really knows the deal, it's really considered part of Martha's Vineyard and depending on the beach and the tide, it's connected. It's going to be authentic. Right. But no, no, they didn't do that. Um, nobody refers to Chappaquiddick as a small little island off of Martha's Vineyard. But right. I wrote out these five pages of, of just these vineyards. Like it was it was me and my buddies. I, when I took a semester off from school and we would go to this place that I used to bartend at. And it was like the one thing to do. And you go to karaoke and our chemistry high school, high school chemistry teacher would be just sitting there just firing away, like singing <laughs> tunes. And we'd be looking around at like any girl, like any girl. We'd be like, what? Right. Like, you know, how did this happen? Just be like. Would you date her right now? This like in the winter? I'd be like, yeah, I would, and I'd be psyched, and I would bring her home to my family, and I would brag about her, and then, you know, as soon as it's summer, peace. But yes, I would. <laughs> now, through the I would date her now and tell you guys about it and brag. And yes, this can sound really shallow or whatever, but right. I was trying to get into the heads of these guys that like everybody thinks that this luxurious touristy place, like there's yeah. this real rough element of construction guys in the winter, and. Um, the guy editing was like, "Hey, cool scene, really funny, pointless." And uh, but, yeah, but see, look, I'm starting seen, to learn that these guys are right, and that's like how that many whole, scenes have we seen in a Tarantino movie? Right? Somebody probably would have looked at Pulp Fiction and said, "Why the Royale with cheese bit?" Like, who I cares can't so? believe you just referenced that because he, the editor that I'm working with, <laughs> yeah, started giving me examples of like how dialogue in one sentence can tell you everything about somebody. Right. Okay, and the one that he used was Escape from Alcatraz, and. Eastwood, I think his character's Frank, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the warden, and I think he asks him, and this is the example that he uses with me, he goes, tell me about your childhood, and Eastwood goes, it was short. <laughs> that like, is a good line. Like, what else do you need to know? Like, the, guy, the guy's in line. jail, it says that he's brilliant on the little manila folder, right? and then he just stern, cold, no emotion. Right. Tell me about your childhood, it was short. That's, that's, that's okay, good. Done. I like so, that. I can't believe you just used that Pulp Fiction thing, because then I kind of went back to my guy and said, yeah. And the reason I'm not saying his name is I don't want him to be harassed of course, or anything. Yeah. And I'm, so he listens to all these podcasts, so he's going to be laughing his head off right now. <laughs> I'm sure he's a smart guy. But I think that Royal with Cheese thing was really revealing in that it was these two hitmen, essentially, or mob, you know, however yeah. they were connected to sure. Marcellus. The whole deal, it, it was like humanizing the fact that they're arguing about hamburgers and fast food on the way to probably go kill these kids. So there was a purpose behind it. That's it was what not I thought. Just, yeah, right. it's not just a non sequitur conversation. It's not Tarantino. Look how funny and cool I am. It's no, like, no, this is this is how normal guys act. How you and I would act, except they go kill people. Yeah, that's. I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, that's just so cool. Yeah. That's what they call hamburgers over there, right? Yeah. But no, there was a purpose. It's like they were 
humanizing these guys because if they just if they just showed up to the doorstep to knock on the and they they're early they look man they're early <laughs> yeah, and they walk right, around right. like we we get a few minutes right like we're learning about the character whereas if they just walked in with black suits and killed a bunch of kids you go yeah. mm. all right I gotta stop talking here because I want to talk to you Oscars year two yeah go. Unbelievable experience. Uh, let's start backwards because let's go back to Tom Green. So, uh, and I'll explain how we got here. But we're at I don't Kim- know how we did. We're at Kimmel's after party. Oh wow! Ben Lyons is unbelievable. Like everyone's gonna have a guy. He's that guy. He's like, yeah, I know someone, friend of a friend. We're no, there. he knows everybody. He's unbelievable. So my wife Eamon was with me. She didn't come last year. So she's. If you think I'm nuts for this stuff, she's you know times a thousand. So it's Ben, his lovely wife Mariah, me and Eamon, and and Ben. If she Mar- wasn't attractive. How would you describe her? Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Smart, insightful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A wonderful, effervescent person. Spunky. Yeah, exactly. But they're so Ben and Mariah. They just want to like have out and have a drink, right? Lines has lived this his whole life. This is his eleventh Oscars. He just wants to have a drink and hang out. I'm like, oh, okay, there's Snoop. Um, whereas I, me and Amy are like, oh, let's go meet people. So. First was Jimmy Kimmel. Like, That's the host of the Oscar. We gotta go talk to him. And I'm an idiot because I was like, well, maybe I'll just mention the ESPN thing. Most of these guys I know don't know it, but maybe he might because he's had Herb Street. He's had Corso on the show. Well, Simmons was a writer on the show for a while too. Trevor, I mean, still- one of the producers, as I'm about to go talk to Jimmy, figure out how to approach him. Trevor comes up. Well, there's a guy named Yaya who's on the show. I don't know Kimmel enough. I apologize. But he's this Pakistani guy on the show. So he comes up to me and he starts going, Oh, where are you from? And Eamon goes, Oh, Pakistani. And he's like, Oh, so now he's thrilled to meet me. And Trevor, who's Kimmel's producer, goes, Hey, do you know this guy? He's pointing at me. And I was like, Yeah, I just met him. Yeah, his family's from Pakistan. He goes, No, it's Adnan Berg. He goes, He's with Ryan Rosillo. And so then I started talking to Trevor. He goes, Dude, what, what happened? Why is Rosillo, why'd the show end? I was like, Oh, long story, man. But he goes, He's in LA now. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Rosillo tonight. He's like, Oh, I love that guy, man. You guys are great together. I'm like, Oh, thanks. Like, I go, listen, he's a writer now. So get him on Kimball sometime. Trevor's like, Yeah, hey, who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. They're yeah, like, exactly. You sell something. Yeah, he's like, yeah, it was nice to meet you. Yeah. So Jimmy's there. I go, Hey, man, I'm from ESPN. It was great that you had Herb Street, course, on the show. He's polite, kind of nods. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. And I said, I'm really sorry to bother you. Can my wife get a picture with you? And he was really not supposed to do that, but okay, sure. No problem. Takes a picture. My wife goes, I loved your monologue about healthcare. He's like, oh, thanks. And she goes, how's your son doing? He goes, always oh, much better. And well, we met this guy, Yaya, too. He goes, well, don't talk to him too much. We might have to take him home with you. We're like, all right, thanks. <laughs> it's a good line by him. I see Jeff Ross and I go, I just have one thing to ask him. The Roastmaster? And I go, so I go up to him and I'm waiting for the right moment because you know this, right? These guys don't want to talk to me. They're having their own conversation. No. And that's the thing about what we do is that we have just enough of a taste of it to know what it's like but we're just not clearly famous enough that right. like like it's like we know everything that they're processing right so we should be told but then we're still like these guys are way more famous than us so we correct. still want to say hi right like the picture like you, think really- you have an in but your in should also prevent you from saying anything correct like you would know they're at a party they just want to hang out they don't yeah. want to talk about their careers they want to talk to their friends but you're right you go i just can't help myself like why not <laughs> so, so, so to jeff ross i go hey dude i go all the roasts are great but the ann coulter was the all-timer and he laughed he goes oh he goes that was a comedian's dream and as soon as we saw coulter show up we're like yes because <laughs> if you'll recall i know you've seen i'm sure you've seen it bubba it was supposed to be about rob lowe but coulter didn't know the concept of the roaster wasn't aware and you got a bunch of comments like oh my god we got this crazy and no one's even right- gonna get mad at me for killing her <laughs> right this extremist right-wing commentary like oh yes <laughs> so they completely changed all the routines so he's like hey you got great sense of humor like thanks man John Favreau, quickly say hello. Tell me I love swingers. Great. By the way, Lines was funny when I, oh, there's John Favreau. He goes, well, I know him. Like, I can introduce you. I go, no, it's okay. I'd rather just be me and be an idiot and just say, hey, I love swingers. Thanks. Now, here's the best. Here it goes to Crean. 
Michael Keaton's there. Oh, wait, sorry, Matt Damon walked in. <laughs> I know, I'm name dropping all over the place. But Lines knows Matt Damon, because Damon walks in and Ben turns without missing a beat. Ryan goes, man, they'll let anybody in this party. And I'm like, he's busting Matt Damon's jobs. And Damon starts laughing, ah, get out of here, what's up, what's up? And my wife liked the fact that when he introduced himself, he said, hey, I'm Matt. And I said, well, I think most guys would do that. You would do that. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm, hey, I'm Matt. Like, and, but she goes, that's a, like, it's just a subtle thing that I'm like, that's cool. He's just like, hey, man, I'm Matt. How you doing? Nice to meet you. So we talk for a minute, whatever. He, he takes off. Keaton. He's there with his wife getting some French fries. Who I've heard, by the way, from people that have hung out with him. Yeah. He try. I'm not saying try. He wants to be the regular guy all the time. Like, if you got him in a moment, you ran into him someplace, he would yeah. hang out. He would have some drinks. Like, he would be like, let's just be normal. Correct. I heard he is a rep as one of the nicest guys yeah. in Hollywood. But I'm thinking, what do I mention to him, right? First thing is Batman. Don't mention Batman. No, don't, Birdman. Don't, don't mention Birdman. Mr. Mom. Spotlight. Mr. Mom, yeah. Afterwards, I was so mad at myself. because my what about dad, Gung-Ho? No, no. <laughs> my was dad, it Gung-Ho? Was that the name of it? Uh, um, Night Shift was the other one somebody mentioned. But my dad loves the Dream Team. And I go, if I had mentioned the Dream Team, he would have laughed. But anyways, I'm waiting to think of what to say. And my wife goes, well, I'm going to go get some fries. So she's there. Michael Keaton turns. And I thought he said, hey, man, and extended his hand. But then he turned to his wife and goes, oh, he's a big he's a big movie guy or he's a sportscaster or whatever. So my wife goes, you think he would just say, hey, man? She goes, he clearly said, hey, Adnan. He knew who you were. And then introduced you to his wife because, hey, this guy's a big You were early guy. on Birdman. And I, yeah, I, was, I should have said to my man, I saw it back in November before all the Oscar hype. But I, what I said to him was, <laughs> I loved you with Neil Everett because he was promoting a movie called American Assassin. And he was on with Neil, I want to say last summer. And Keaton was impressed. He goes, oh, you remember the movie? Mike? And I'm like, I didn't actually see the movie, Michael. But yeah. I actually saw it. Rented at a hotel, desperate. I heard. Yeah, a little dicey. Yeah. It's so just I, tough when like the guy's supposed to be just a, not even Keaton, the younger dude who's supposed to be a badass. And you're like. It didn't. Yeah. Like little little emo dude. So I, the first thing he says to me after I go, hey, I said to his wife, I go, oh, your husband's so cool. He was on with Neil Everett at Sports Center. He's like, oh, yeah, Neil's awesome. He's great. And then he says to me, he could have asked me anything. He goes, how's Cream doing? Oh my God. Green's a legend. I couldn't believe it. I go, you oh, should replace Greening and get up. <laughs> so I said, Oh, he's awesome, man. I go, I, I knew how smart he was, but I didn't know how funny he is. He's like, Oh yeah, what's he, what's he up to? And I go, Well, I think he wants to get back into coaching, but he's great with us. We're having a blast. I'm like, I didn't know you were locked into Wednesday, Thursday college basketball coverage. That's what I've heard, heard about <laughs> Keaton is that he's, I mean, you know, everybody like wants to be normal and everybody, you know, is like, Hey, you know, you, you always hear that about like, sure. Oh, he's the nicest guy. He's so approachable. Like, yeah. is he really, we spent seven minutes with them. I mean, that's always right. kind of my rule. Like when we have these guys in the car wash, but like, sure. do you really know, we know anybody, but do we really know some of these guys? But I've constantly heard about the fact that he would reference like Wednesday hoop raps with you and Cream. I want to be on Cream's staff. Even if I can sell a show, I may say, you know what? I'm sorry. Like Cream got the job. Dude, with, it would not be out know, of the question. You got the Louisville gig. I'm just going to move down there and, you know, wear strength gear and yell kids right. to box okay, out. still out there ganged up. Uh, but he's a big Pirates fan. So we started talking about McCutcheon. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry about McCutcheon. He's like, yeah. And I go, that park is so great. You know, PNC is like, it's the best. Dude, it's the best. And he goes, and that team, the way they're firing up. And then Keaton, great comic timing, goes, man, I was in a great mood before I started talking to you. <laughs> I started laughing. I go, I'm so sorry. Can I get a quick picture? He's like, yeah. And then I mentioned a movie, which I do love, which people should check out if you like Michael Keaton. It's called Game Six. He plays a playwright who's a huge Red Sox yeah. fan, and he's a play opening the same night as Game Six. Of course, the 86 World Series, which your dad, I'm sure, uh, would like to forget. But Keaton goes, thanks, man. We made that movie for like a million bucks. And I said, I love it. I think it's great. He's like, thanks a lot, dude. Also, Will Arnett. Sure, he's a big Will Arnett fan. He's not listening yet, but Arnett was there. He came through a couple years ago. You were all over Will Arnett. You he, did a lot of FaceTime with him. Yeah, he remembered game. me as soon as I saw him because I wasn't sure. He was right away. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? Sir Saka Maple Leafs hockey. He's talking to a couple of girls, so I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, there we go. One of the girls turns around, and my wife, Amy, goes, that's Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> so I definitely don't want to interrupt. Then Damon goes over, and I'm literally Rosillo. I'm like, Matt Damon, Will Arnett, and Jennifer Aniston are having a conversation 10 feet from me. I do not belong here right now. 
Aniston, my wife, to her credit, just went up because Jennifer, I'm a big fan. I don't want to bother you. I just want to say hi. And Jennifer's like, oh, you're so sweet. Thanks so much. So that was for Jennifer. Poor Aniston. Jen's going through a lot. Yeah. And I'm I, rooting for her. I thought this one was going to take. I know. The latest I, breakup. I just felt like, man, if you could be super famous and then also have a wife or a husband that lived in New York City and then you got your place in L.A. And, yeah, you're busy. but Sure, but you make it work. I wish there was a dating site for that. Like wicked famous people mm-hmm. that don't want to live together. <laughs> They care so much, but they just need a little bit of separation. Yeah, just 3,000 miles. Yeah, maybe it could work Yeah, for some. Arnett, yeah. by the way, I asked him about Arrested Development. I go, hey, everything good with the he new season? He asked you about it? No, I asked him. I go, what's up with the new season? Because Tambor, there's some stuff about, you know, transparent, whatever. So I go, is yeah. everything all right? He's like, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah. We're finishing post-production. It's great. Bateman, ready to go. So I can't wait. We'll That's good. <laughs> um, okay, so let's... Oh, man, I could do this for three hours with you. Uh, because I never know, like, I think... The content, so you know, you're like, okay, is this is this good? All this is good. I mean, right. I could just tag this. And we go. may have lost some people with the Mammoth Masterclass. Yes, whatever, definitely but, but, Mammoth Masterclass. We should have we should have put at the end. Into this stuff. Yeah, it's we okay. should have put that at the end um, because I want to talk to you about the Mammoth Masterclass, but I don't know that I want to do it on the pod right now. Yeah. All right. Now, what have you uh, seen of the Oscar movies? Did you watch the telecast? Were you pleased? Did no, you... I, I can't. I can't. Get Award out, shows liked? for me. Get out. I liked. I liked. Right. I, I love the story. I, you know, was was Key holding Peel back? Has that been debated enough? You know, I don't know. I don't know that that question's been, you know, show. No. I remember that. <laughs> Why isn't that on first take? You know, like, biggest ovation at that theater was when Jordan Peele won and his story. You know, and hey, you know, I quit this thing 20 times and, you, and you're looking at your script going, does this suck? You know, is anyone going to like this? I do think because of our awareness level right now in, you know, the, the social climate of things like get out now uh, was was at the perfect time. Yes, I think if it was five years ago. People are going, oh, cool movie, clever, mm-hmm. best picture. Right. No chance. Right. But I feel like there's a post kind of Oscar so white mm-hmm. thing where it's challenged everybody to look at, you know, I'm not trying to sound like some some dude here, but like just to simply say, I think it's challenging people to look at art differently. Right. And that, okay, we need we need to just get out of the chariots of fire, Schindler's <laughs> list of like those are the only movies that can win best movie. Now, do I think Black Panther is going to win best movie? Right. I don't know if I would bet against it. I mean, it, but it seems insane that I'm even asking that question. And are, are we really talking about a movie that deserves to be considered one of the five best movies of the year? Right. Or is it one of the five most important movies? Is it one of the five most popular because it's different and it's actually a black superhero that resonates? And like I was at LAX and I saw a bunch of younger black kids like dancing around and they were screaming Black Panther at each other. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like now I kind of get it. Right. I kind of get it a little bit. But – does that mean it should be best picture? So I think the timing of certain movies now, after so much criticism yeah. about how the Academy operated, which movies were being recognized, the lack of diversity on staffs, all these things, like I think the world has changed a lot in that forum, your deal with movies quite yeah. a bit in just a couple years. Don't you always find it interesting, like certain movies don't age well, and then some movies are, of course, ahead of their time. Meaning you look back at some of those best picture winners you're referencing and like nobody thinks Chariots of Fire was the best film of that year. Reds is a better film with Warren Beatty, but at that time, it was, like you said, it fit that classic formula. Somebody said to me, like, of our lifetime, movies we'd remember, which ones don't age well? And I'm like, well, listen, I'm not firing up Driving Miss Daisy or Dances with Wolves anytime soon. They want Dances best with Wolves is bad now. Right? And that was 1990, and that was thought and to be this progressive freaked. Western. Where they're like, oh, it's so progressive, and it showed the way Native Americans were treated, and it's a revisionist Western. And you watch it now, and you go, oh, this is really bad. It's wooden acting, and it's really poorly scripted, and it's bad dialogue, and Costner's a little odd. Yeah, what times. happened? Why, why is it that, like, Costner became worse without being worse? Right. You know, like when you look back at it, now Wyatt Earp sucked. 
Okay, <laughs> Wyatt Earp was terrible, but I've been, I've been, you know, when I was traveling, I was gone. I was in five different hotels for like two plus weeks because I didn't need to be in Connecticut, but my place in LA isn't ready yet. Right, and so you know, in theory, you're like, I'm just going to get on a plane and I'm just going to jump from hotel to hotel and I'm going to live, and then you know. After two and a half weeks, you're looking at your credit card bill and you go, I don't care how much. Like, this is expensive. Yes. It sucks to spend 20 bucks to Uber back and forth to the gym. Mm-hmm. So, like, I got to just, I'm just going to go home and that's right. why I'm back in Connecticut. And the reason I bring up any of this stuff is because I threw on Wyatt Earp because I couldn't fall asleep. Right. And I can't believe that performance. Like, that, there's a line where in the beginning where, like, this bully's going to come try to take him out. And he's like, where's Wyatt Earp? And Coster goes... Well, that's my name. He's like trying to, he's like overdoing meek Wyatt Earp compared to like the black hat Wyatt Earp later. And then there's that Wyatt Earp bender stretch. Right. I don't know how much you remember the Wyatt Earp. Yeah, I don't remember it a don't. ton, but, but it's interesting. You're right. Costner's a guy who won an Academy Award, obviously, for Dances with Wolves as a director. Beat Scorsese for Goodfellas this year, which is a travesty. And listen, Untouchables, like he's obviously had good movies, but you're right. His misses, Wyatt Earp, The Postman, Waterworld. You'll get some who will say Waterworld's not as bad as you think. I'm like, well, I don't remember it being good, so I'm not going to go the back. The gills thing on a human hurt. You know? Like, right. you got to nail that if you're going to have a human being that has gills in its neck. Right. And can swim. Back to Black Panther. Have you actually seen it or no? No, I'm going to see it. Okay. I'm definitely going to see it. Like, well, I, I like it. all super... Like, I was a comic book nerd when right. I was a kid. You know? I like... I mean, granted, there's only like three titles that I was super into. Right. But for the most, like Doctor Strange, I was good on because he was boring as a comic book thing. I knew I wasn't going to like it. Right. And I don't know that I'm a huge fan of uh, Cumberton Bumblesnatch. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah, he's a little sorry. dry. I liked it, but I, I'm the opposite of you. I have superhero fatigue. So I was like, listen, Black Panther's a good movie. But for me, I just don't know how many more of these I can take. But I knew seeing it, again, Ben Lyons hooked me up at like the screening at Disney. I said, this movie's going to be gigantic. And we had Amin Al Hassan. I talked to him. Prior to it opening, he's you think, I go, are you kidding? I go, I watched that movie, and you're right. There was people that said this black woman goes, I've never been so happy to be black. Like, this movie is like a movement. And I go, this isn't necessarily for me. Like, I liked it. It was all right. But people are going to go nuts for this. And I go, it's opening in mid-February. There's nothing else going on. There's no other movies. I go, this is going to be. No, they nailed it. They nailed it. The amount. And I, you know. It was was, good timing. It's a good movie. I made a joke on Twitter about, like, after two weeks of every other tweet being about Black Panther. I said, hey, anybody heard anything about it? Seen it? You know, and that was just an (laughs) obvious joke. And then, of course, it turns into, like, oh, what are you trying to say? And you're like, dude, I'm just making a joke that it's obsessive for two weeks. But for the movie business and the awareness of that movie. That's exactly what you would want. I want to find that guy, though, who's going to be the troll and go, eh, it was overrated. Didn't care for Oh, it. well, there'll be somebody that does it, but... Like, like if I, it gets that Oscar I don't think you think say. it deserves to be nominated no, for Best I don't Picture. So. No, I, I mean, literally, the movie season is a couple months into 2018, and I would be astonished if it's nominated for Best Picture. See, I don't know that I'd be astonished, astonished if it was nominated. And that's kind of back to my whole Get Out right. thing, is that Get Out... Um, you know, no, you're right. It opened in February of last year, and it was purely word of mouth. The best part of Jordan Peele's speech I mean, how was about the budget for that versus the revenue. Seven million, <laughs> and it made two hundred seventy-five <laughs> worldwide. And he goes, "Thank you to everybody who saw it and told everyone to go see it." That is a true word of mouth hit. Everyone yeah. goes, "You got to go see Get Out." And I do think that, like anybody that's wanted to kind of create their own thing, like you cannot even like the movie. You can think it's a little overrated, but I think right. you have to appreciate Peele's story. Yes. That he'd be like, oh, wait, this dude on this show introducing him as Fart McFartinstons from San Diego State. I don't think that's one of his real <laughs> football names. And like he writes this really incredible story and it resonates with so many different people. Right. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, and I don't know that that would have been recognized five years ago. I, yeah. I just, I just don't, I don't think it would have been. All right. So the rest of the best picture stuff. Um, and going Shape through of water, you're going to see it. Okay. Uh, Guillermo I, del Toro. I loved it. I tried to have an, I, I feel bad doing this with you and not have seen every, not have seen sure. 
all of the best picture nominees. Three billboards you'd love if you haven't. I know seen I'm going to like it. I already, like have it. I already have it downloaded. Okay, I that love one's her. that one's a gimme for you. Yep. Um, most people that I trust seem to think that that was best picture. Awesome. The Shape of Water trailer. I watched all the long stuff, and I'm not trying to do like, hey, I know what the movie's about, but you can tell it's just a very classic love story. It just happens to be between a mute woman and a fish, and yeah. I think that that's what they're trying to do. GDT nailed the pitch. He goes, "It's Beauty and the Beast if the Beast never changed." That's the movie. Wow. And was a fish. Right. And she can't talk. <laughs> Titanic won Best Picture in 1997. That's right. That was the highest. People keep asking me, hey, what would you think of the lowest rated Oscars telecast? Well, on Oscar.com, our social media is up. So yeah, while TV go. ratings go down, more people are watching on social. So that's good for me and Lyons and Sophia Carson. But Titanic, that was the highest rated telecast. Why? Everybody had seen Titanic, and it was a juggernaut. It won everything. So everybody watched that night. Titanic beat Goodwill Hunting? 1997, yeah. That's Robin won and the screenplay won. Okay, Shakespeare in Love won a 98. Travis Steelberg, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Thin Red Line shouldn't have won. That's actually kind of amazing to me that it was nominated. nominated. didn't win. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, American Beauty in 99. That one I don't think is age well. I asked somebody recently, I mean, if you watch it now, it's not as good. I'm not, okay, I'm but really at the time, I, I could Bonnie see that. Original, yep. I did watch Cider House Rules again the other day. Um, good. Michael good. Keane. <laughs> Michael Holds Keane. up. Really well done. The Green Mile was terrible. I thought. Really long. I just, yeah. Rockwell's in it, and I love Six Rockwell. Six Sense was nominated. All right, 2000. I always thought... Gladiator. That, yeah, it was Gladiator. <laughs> on this. I always felt like Gladiator got hurt a little bit by Braveheart being in front of it. Yeah, 95, so it was five years earlier, sure. But then Game of Thrones, in a way, has ruined all those, because the Battle of the Bastards is better than any war scene in probably Gladiator Braveheart. That was like I was telling you how much we had Willem Dafoe on Cinephile, and I said, oh, man, I love Platoon. And you go, oh, dude, I love it too, but I think if you watch it now, it wouldn't have aged as well. Like, if you and I popped in Platoon right now, I'd be like, Ugh. I've watched some of it. Everybody's so skinny. All right. Beautiful, uh, beautiful Mind, Tom 2001. Tom unbelievable. Yeah, he's just such a badass all the time. The eye. Like, hey, how do we nail this character? All right, we're going to cut up your eye, too. Makeup. Um, Barnes. Moulin Rouge. I can't believe that was nominated. Beautiful Mind, you could watch today. No yeah. problem. Chicago, if that's your thing. Wait, Gangs of New York. That beat Gangs of New York. It did? Yeah, which is awful. <laughs> okay, but you're you're biased there. Fair enough. Are you? You are, you are also a Gangs of New York guy. I've never been more thrilled when you're like, dude, I read the book. I read the five book. Five points. Yeah, five right. points. If BDL. you read, if it's, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? I can't, um, I'm going to have to look it up. It's oh, English. Oh, the guy who wrote the book? English, I think. Um, uh-huh. It's called Paddy Whacked. It's the history of the Irish Mafia. Right. And what it does is it goes back and just, it starts the history of the Mafia in general. So Tammany Hall and oh. the way they would rig the votes and it gets <laughs> into the whole thing. Jim on, Broadbent playing the mayor. Uh, all right, here we go. It is it is uh, T.J. English, right? He wrote the Westies, too, the whole thing. So if you like Gangs in New York, if you, yeah. if you love that movie, go read Paddywhacked. You don't even have to read the whole thing if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, it's probably the 20th book that I've read that makes it pretty clear how JFK went down. So I don't know how we're still trying to sell this mystery of who may have taken the JFK. was involved, yeah. yeah. And that's also because of uh, the book that you... The Irishman. The Irishman. Yeah, I heard you paint houses the book. The movie's going to be The Irishman, yeah. All right, so give me... I wanted to do this because what do you still have more on the Oscars? I, I could do this all no, day. No, I mean we're, I feel bad because you haven't seen enough of that stuff. But watch three. I know, I know. That I saw a Disaster Artist, loved it, uh, but not as good as Ed Wood's Great American Game. <laughs> and I was I was constantly fact checking all the stuff after the fact. Like they still don't say where this dude. They finally found out that he's from Poland, okay. but that 
he was definitely 20 years older than he said. Imagine oh, being yeah. in L.A. and just being like, yeah, I'm 25. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually, for the premiere of his movie, and if you don't, if you haven't seen The Disaster Artist, yeah. the reason it's an American story, it's a guy that wanted something so bad. He went to Hollywood to fulfill the Hollywood dream. Mm-hmm. He just happened to have millions of dollars that no one can figure out how he got the money. Yeah. And he just had this endless bank account and made this horrible movie that became so bad that it became a cult classic. And then James Franco researched it all and said, okay, we'll buy this guy's life rights and we're mm-hmm. going to make this story. Right. And he put up billboards of himself advertising the premiere of this movie, The Room, that came out, what, 2000, early 2000s, yeah. late 90s? Bubba's a big fan of one of the guys who works here. He, he, He's he, seen it? He was in on the room early. He had a cell phone number or whatever. Like, his number was on the billboard, and you right. would call him driving down the LA highway to RSVP and reserve your seat at the premiere. <laughs> right. It was It was masterful. I mean, it was... He's psychotic, but he was also a genius because, like you said, the movie was so bad it was good. It was one of those classics that became a cult classic. Yeah, so and like, I like the disaster as the movie, but it's unfortunate. A the Franco backlash and the movie kind of got hurt. Franco would have been nominated if not one best actor. He definitely would have been nominated if it hadn't been for the the New York Times story about the alleged sexual harassment stuff because he was so funny in it. Like, he didn't I, even go right. Didn't even go. He was like that because the Globes he was nominated and Brandon was like uh, really awkward. They announced his name at the Oscars, no chance. So they nominated Denzel for Roman J Israel, which is terrible. If you want to know the worst movie, worst performance nominated, Denzel, Roman J. Israel. You won't even be able to get through 20 minutes. It's awful. So that's back-to-back years. Denzel's been uh, Fences, Fences and, yeah. and then this. Yeah. And Fences was good. You and I talked. It's a little stagey, obviously. It's, it's tough very, because it was a play adaptation, right. and you're right. watching it, and you're, you're going, in one okay. room for 30 minutes. You yeah. go, okay, got it. Can we just, you know. Mamet would have loved it. It's like <laughs> a chair, dramatist. pencil, and some blood. <laughs> well, the, you'll, you'll get to it, but Mamet's master class on dialogue is great. He goes, everything I write with dialogue is somebody wants something from somebody else. Yeah. Right. Which like, this line means this, and then there's a gap, and there's an unexpected, like, will this person say this, or will this person say that? Right. But he goes, everyone's trying to take something from somebody, which is so classic of Mammoth's work. Like, nobody is on the up and up. Everyone's devious. It makes Glengarry Glenn Ross work out a lot better. <laughs> so I went back, I've been reading the Fargo script, <laughs> and then watching it, and I can't believe those guys, how freaking good they are. And it kind of led to, because we love ranking stuff. Yeah. Do you know off the top of your head, in order, your five favorite movies of all time? Yeah. You do. Have you done this a lot? I haven't done it recently, but people often, and I always, it's tough to get the order, but Raging Bull, Taxi Driver. Does Raging Bull hold up if for people that are yes. not, like, I love it, sure. but do... I went to Lemoyne College and did a speaking engagement there, and I asked one of the professors, he goes, oh, I know you love Scorsese. I show my students Raging Bull, I go, and he goes... They find it a little bit slow, but they do think it it's good. It is slow. He gets a little slow, but they, but they do like it. Because the, because the boxing scenes are like, man, uh, that's incredible. Look how many cuts there is. Never knock me down. Yeah, it's got Lamana's getting Never his ass me down, Ray. Never got me down, Ray. Never got me down. He's so good in that part of it, too. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the audience. I always like the part where he gets the girl to sit on his lap. <laughs> Because it's so freaking creepy. and I, She's supposed to be 15 in the I movie. Know, I Kathy know. Moriarty. So I just, can you at least, you know. The relationship the, with Pesci, though, his brother is unbelievable. <laughs> but just how creepy he is to her. To yeah. be like, why don't you come sit over here? <laughs> sit over here. And she's sitting on his lap, and it's so awkward. But it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect because you're like, this guy's just sort of a Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. He's a caveman. She's, you know, he's. Jake Lamotta, like he's right. he's the guy from the neighborhood, and like oh my god, he's he's paying attention to me. He's right, time I had a friend of mine go, "Why is she attracted to him?" I'm like, are you kidding? Are you he's, kidding? Yeah. He's the champion of the world. Like he's, he's he's a brute, but she's not with him for the intellect. Like he's a big star. She's 15. Like yeah, he's just 
Yeah. Starstruck by this guy. All right, so Raging Bull. Taxi driver I love. I just said the other day, one of these quotes, they said, um, loneliness has been with me my whole life in cars and bars everywhere. I can't escape it. I'm God's lonely man. Taxi driver. I love that. I'm surprised somebody hasn't figured out a way, and it would have to be like people would revolt if the wrong person got it in their hands. Yeah. But that's a TV show. Like that could be a TV show of drawing out the, the lonely yes. Travis preparing for the war that it isn't really coming. That's right. only in his head. Right. Vengeance, and, avenging angel. People, you know, yeah. like it's it's a bit like the Punisher, but the Punisher has this thing that happens to him. His family's killed in this crossfire by the mob, and then he finds out, at least in the newest TV version, that it was done on purpose or whatever. Right. All these different things. So you have his motivating point, and then. The weird thing about the TV thing was that it went to him sort of after he had gone on the rampage and supposedly was dead and the whole thing. Right. But I always thought like Taxi Driver, but maybe it would just get really depressing. Maybe it's just something I would like, that it would just be this lonely, like, hell, I could go give you a first season in Hartford right now. But <laughs> just take a look it's me doing pull-ups. <laughs> You're just you know, speaking these passages yeah. yourself, making homemade guns. Parked outside of like Wolfpack games where guys are scalping tickets and me just sitting in my car going, look at the scum and then the red light from the stoplight. Someday a real rail will come right. and watch the scum off the streets. But yeah, man, so maybe. taking a dark turn. Yeah, maybe, you know, that's always one of my problems. You'd be like, okay, cool. What's the second season? Right. Like, well, then he gets even more bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes to France. He's like, I got to clean up their situation. This guy's running for prime minister. He can't win. Okay, so good then. Goodfellas. Goodfellas, which I watched in entirety uh, in the flight back. No just the other week week hysterical and like it's so it's, funny it may be the perfect movie <laughs> it's, i'm serious think every about element of it acting directing script music cinematography like everything this is a brilliant movie and i just always think the dark humor of it like it's so funny people go you think that movie's funny i'm like i think oh it's God, incredibly yeah. funny <laughs> the whole, i mean every part of it. so let's look at the sequence when henry's becoming a made guy amazing the stuff as a kid amazing Billy Bats and Pesci, awesome. Well, not made, but right, right, you know, yeah, right, right. Um, he's gets you know, he's right. part Irish blood. Right, 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 right. <laughs> There's only one Irishman here, Billy. Uh, I, was, my daughter says you're half Jewish. <laughs> just a good half. <laughs> the whole sequence at the end, Ryan, when he's paranoid. Like if you watch that 20 minutes, stones his plan. He's like, got to keep stirring the sauce. Like every element of it, amazing. Do you know the guy stirring the sauce is the guy who's in Pineapple Express? Well, I didn't know that. He guy in the wheelchair. Yeah. The younger brother that's stirring oh. the sauce the whole time. <laughs> I'm stirring, I, I'm stirring. It. I was in, um, I was in Colorado this summer, and I was sitting at a at a hotel bar eating with my friends, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Who's that guy? We can't figure it out." And he was sitting by himself, <laughs> and he just was eating food. He, he didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that's a dude from Pineapple Express," and he was in. The Departed, he plays the cousin to DiCaprio when DiCaprio yes. first gets out. Yeah, and then yeah, he goes, you right. know what I have to ask you in these moments? And he's like, come on, dude, I'm not a cop. Yeah, and, that's right. He is a guy. That, yeah. But he's Nicholas Henry Hill's him. younger brother. Wow. That's great. And, and I again. didn't really think of that. Yeah. I love him in Departed. He's great. He's a guy. Come on. So you don't have, you know, Godfather I have, 1 and 2. There's four. So, that's, so wait a minute. Did you go five for five, Scorsese? No. But Godfather 1 and 2 is Coppola. Oh, I'm sorry. Gosh. Uh, you went three of five. Yeah, but when we should put it in comedy. I should put like Naked Gun in there. <laughs> no, I don't think. The first Naked Gun is. <laughs> the first Naked Gun is, is incredible. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles I love, which I, I mentioned to you once, and you go, it's just a sad movie, though. The ending is sad. It bums you out. I'm surprised they made it. I'm surprised that they go, because Hollywood usually doesn't want everybody to be super bummed out at the end of it. It's an incredible movie. Yeah. It's awesome. Candy's great, but it's just such a departure. Although, is that Michael Hughes? 
Uh, John Hughes. John yeah. Hughes. Why, yeah, yeah, why yeah. am I screwing up everybody's name right now? Um, but Trevor, when he just goes, he goes, I don't have a home. Marine's been dead for eight years. You're yeah. Like, oh, my God. You're like, all right, <laughs> psycho. Drag your trunk in here. We'll, we'll cut you a turkey leg. Del Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny, though. Just annoying chowder head. You just, you talk. You talk you're like, <laughs> here's, here's an observation. Here's a, when you're taught, when you're, when you, when you're telling us, have, have a, a point. point. <laughs> it makes it so much more interesting for the listener. listener. <laughs> Steve Martin. Uh, when he's scratching himself in the way that's mic'd up too, and it's just like sandpaper on <laughs> Steve Martin's face, and he's like sharing a bed with John Candy, just working him. You know, he's just, you know, trying to right. get himself comfortable, but, right. uh. He's cracking the back. <laughs> who's Michael Hughes? <laughs> but John Hughes always had like sort of a little morality, like yes. little lesson in there. Correct. That was a little bit. I guess more emotional than just, okay, Hollywood movie, happy yeah. ending, guy gets the girl. High right. School it wasn't just straight comedy. You're right. Yeah. I guess I like that it's sad, but Planes, Changes, and Automobiles is sad at the end. So Is Fargo in your five? Oh, Fargo may be my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah. I'll predict it. I'll predict your five. Fargo has to be there. Godfather 2, you once told me, is your favorite serious film. So that's in there. Yep. I know you love, uh, it's going to be a Wes Anderson movie. It's either going to be, I think it's Rushmore, maybe Bottle Rock. I think you'll go Rushmore. I think Rushmore is a better movie, right. but I like Bottle Rocket better. Right. And I know you and I both like Tenenbaums. Rushmore is the one for you of the Rushmore's five. Rushmore is it's a, it's maybe a perfect movie right. as well. Right. Like but I do think the comedy in Bottle Rocket <laughs> is is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you know, when when Bob from the Lawn Wranglers and it's uh it's uh what the hell's his name? Jim Conn. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. James Conn. Jim Conn. So he's he's it's like there's this one little part where he goes He's at his house. He's like, hey, old Bob's got a beautiful house. And he's playing the piano. And it's seriously this like one little clip. Right. And he robs him. You know what I mean? And, and then you think back at how damn funny that is that they put this one little line in. And James Conn's hosting this party with these landscapers at Bob's place. Because Bob's place is he's stupid. And they're all stupid. Right. And he's loaded. He's like, hey, old Bob's got a beautiful house. Bang. And he hits the piano keys. And then he's like, right. man, Bob robbed you. That's crazy. You know, that's a great scene. I forgot about it. And then there's the part where Dignan's giving him the plan and um, Luke Wilson's riding shotgun. And then uh, Bob's in the back and you hear a honk as they go through an intersection. <laughs> and Bob just goes, that was a stop sign. <laughs> and like, that's the stuff of Wes Anderson. He's just like, what, so you know, clever. why do you have the bandaid on your nose? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, there's, you know, the jumpsuit line is great. But shoot. I just forgot. I forgot. He's like. He's like, oh, he said he loved. He said he loved you. He's like, man, he's. I knew he was kind of a weird kid. The translator for the housekeeper. <laughs> right, 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 right. There's a bunch of like incredibly. Hey, what are you in the military, man? No, I just have my short, my hair cut short. So, all right, I just recited Bottle Rockets. Those great right. sequences. Uh cinephile. How how. ESPN app and on iTunes, rate and review. Levitard Army's been unbelievable. You know, I sneak on the show and, and, uh, upset Dan and Stugat. So then I said to those guys, I keep getting tweets and you know this. You go, Hey, thanks a lot. But if you want to really help me out, <laughs> support, subscribe Cinefile. to it. So right. Bam. Subscribe. And by the way, I stole your idea. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. It's Does not it my idea. Work? It's just the math. Does it actually work? Um, you know, I, I think Apple's starting to tighten up the ship a little bit here. I mean, okay. the number that matters. Is the how many downloads you get in per episode? Like that's okay. a real number that internally they can look at. But okay. to get a little bit of buzz, right? Yeah, like that stuff happens. And honestly, it kind of surprised me for such a long time here at ESPN. Like a lot of people didn't seem to know that, right? <laughs> you know, and you're going, what? Like how's this? Um, they actually did this whole article. Simmons tweeted it out. It's actually incredible. This whole article about how certain people of rig- rigging 
rigging what they're doing. Um, and I don't mean by subscribe, unsubscribe. Like sure. Some people are actually buying bots to uh, rate, and then you'll look at like how many, like a guy will have 12 downloads, and then somehow, and I'm talking like the overall news category. Right. It'll be like the number five news NPR, podcast. NPR, whatever. Right, yeah. with NPR and New York Times, and then it's like, Joe Shaka News. <laughs> go, uh, oh, this guy's got some good buzz. I think we have to leave the studio now. I just realized that. All right. That's a bummer. All right. Um, Great okay. to see you, man. Great to see you, too. Thanks.